Welcome back to One Visit Away with your host, Kevin Fitzpatrick. This show focuses on true stories of philanthropy in order to understand what it takes to succeed in major gift fundraising. Listen to these stories and you'll realize you're just one visit away from a transformational experience for your benefactors and your organization. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the One Visit Away podcast. In today's episode, we are going to hear from Abby Trahan, who is a uh, up-and-coming fundraiser. Um, she and I got connected a few years ago, right around the time I was starting my podcast, and had a phone call, and finally got her on the podcast now. It's a great episode. I hope you enjoy it. But in the meantime, I've got a crazy offer for you with Major Gift Millions. So we're about 30 days out from the end of the year, and this is my crazy offer. I, it's, I'm calling it the 10x guarantee, and this is it. If you purchase Major Gift Millions for individual or team access uh, before the end of the day, Friday, December 2nd, so this Friday coming up, I will guarantee you a 10x return on your investment within the first 30 days or I'll give you your money back. So what does that mean? If you purchase individual access for $1,500, if you cannot directly uh, draw a line from I learned this stuff in the course or I changed what I was doing in the course and that led to $15,000 or more in gifts closed before the end of the year, I'll give you your money back. If you purchase team access, it's $5,000. If your team can't point back to at least $50,000 in gifts closed before the end of the year, I'll give you your money back. Why am I doing this? <laughs> it seems like a crazy, uh, ridiculous idea. And in some ways it is. But here's the deal. I've had hundreds of people enroll in the course. It's been awesome uh, seeing you know so many people get enrolled and also seeing the success they're having. But there's one thing that just drives me crazy, and it's the dozens of people that I know want to buy the course, but for whatever reason can't get approval. They just can't find themselves to make the investment. Um, you know, because I see one. I have conversations with several of you over LinkedIn who are just kind of on the fence. But then also, I see so many people, you know, uh, clicking on my emails, clicking on the link to purchase, but not following through. So I want to give you every, I, I can't imagine a more uh, positive uh, reassurance that this is a worthwhile investment. If you don't 10x your investment in 30 days, I'm going to give you your money back. And so I want to do this just to get people in the course. I understand I'm going to wind up refunding probably a good chunk of those of you who <laughs> who do this. I, I don't expect everyone is going to get that return. I think it's possible if you put the work in, but some of you are just going to buy it and you're not even going to watch it and you're going to be like, yeah, I want my money back. And that's going to happen. But I want to get you to commit because I know what's possible on the other side of this thing. And I know there's so many there's so many bosses who are like, well, you know, let's not do it now. Let's put it off. Let's uh, let's just do something else. And one of the things I hear sometimes is that, uh, you know, someone's getting free help somewhere else. And I get that. And it's actually when I when I started my business before I started my business, my coaching business, I was talking to several people who I thought would be ideal clients. And I wanted to get their feedback on, hey, like, do you think this would be valuable? And one of them shared with me, well, there's actually an organization that already does that with us, and they do it for free. It's like they are a nonprofit that works with other nonprofits to give them free coaching on how to succeed at major gifts. Or Maybe it was just fundraising, but major gifts was one of their their categories. And and so that was a little bit of pushback. And I know I thought about that. And what I came up with is uh, there's something that's better than free. And what that thing is, is expensive. So that's my little saying. Uh, <laughs> expensive is better than free. And why is that? Well, 
a lot of times people will get free help in a variety of ways, and it doesn't have a lot of value because the person who got the free help didn't value it with money. So what I mean by that, I've actually, uh, when I first came up with my course, there were several really small nonprofits that uh, I knew could benefit from my course, and I gave my course to them for free. And one of the things I noticed is that almost without fail, every organization I've given the course to for free doesn't use it because they don't value it. They don't even, I, I get them set up for free and they never even log in. And so there's something that's more valuable than free and that's expensive. If something is expensive, it's probably going to be of significant value. And if you, the consumer, invest that expense into it, that means you value it. So those of you who pay for this value the course more and you're more inclined to learn from it and take advantage and try new things. And that's going to lead to results. So I know this is a crazy offer. I know a lot of you are, you know, the 30-day period is going to come up and you're going to be like, hey, uh, <laughs> we only closed $5,000 in gifts. And I'll give you a refund. No questions asked. I'm not going to be like, oh, come on. Like you were, I, I'm not going to do any of that. It's if you want a refund at the end of the 30 days. And by the way, the normal policy is a 30-day refund for any reason whatsoever. So, but this is my 10x guarantee. If you don't 10x your money within the first 30 days with individual or team access, I will give you a refund. You've got until the the end of the day this Friday, December 2nd to get enrolled. I'll leave the link in the description, the notes section of this podcast, and I look forward to seeing you enrolled in the course. All that being said, let's get on to this great episode with Abby Trahan. Well, welcome to the One Visit Away podcast, Abby. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me, Kevin. I'm excited to kind of reconnect and talk about fundraising with you. Yes, I I forgot until you reminded me just a couple minutes ago that uh, you and I spoke over the phone. This was probably, it was like right around the beginning of the pandemic because... I was really starting because I was starting my podcast. Mm -hmm. I was really starting to get more into my business. And uh, at the time, I remember our conversation because it was in my home office slash laundry room (laughs) last time. And we have since moved. So I have a more professional setup. And uh, yeah, it's good to good to be back. But could you just tell everybody a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, sure. Happy to do that. So um, my name's Abby and I live in the greater Houston area. I studied nonprofit management. I studied fund development in grad school and then I entered the workforce in the pandemic. So May of 2020, one of those fresh eye, bushy tailed um, fundraisers entering the field. And I worked in a social service organization, kind of an annual giving, but personalized communication for a while. But I knew I always wanted to move in towards major gifts. Um, so I always joke, I had a portfolio of like 5,000 monthly donors, and now I have a much smaller portfolio. <laughs> so that works out. Um, so kind of just entering the field and excited to talk with you about what that looks like. What are some of the strategies you think about some people in your circle who are listening to you and kind of how we get started in this field? Yeah, for sure. So tell me about, I remember at one point I saw an article, I think maybe it was in the Chronicle of Philanthropy or something where you were, were featured. Um, and I think it had to do with your, uh, you know, growing of your monthly donor program. Could you tell everybody a little bit about that and kind of what that journey was like? Sure. I'm happy to talk about that. Cause I think that really led me towards what I could do. Um, and like, leadership annual giving in the major, like the mid-level space, major gift space. So I managed a monthly donor program at the time. It was like 2000 when I started. And by the time I ended my role there, it was 5,000. So we grew about 60%. So yes, some of that was from the natural disaster that the disaster that we were in, in that natural point of time. And so, but what was really important is stewardship at that point in a personal connection, like name recognition. So I changed everything on the website. They could contact me anytime. They knew who I was. They knew what I looked like. They had my contact information. And I was their 
really relationship manager between them and the social service organization. I really tried to take that personalized approach. And I think that that um, really went well. Um, they, I had monthly donors reaching out to me after I left the organization via LinkedIn. And I talked about in the Chronicle of Philanthropy article, I said, you know, they, someone asked me like, well, what do you do? Like there's turnover you left like after two years. And I'm like, the major gift turnover is like 18 months. And we're not even talking to major gift donors about retention and like that personal relationship. So I think that what it shows is a personal relationship, no matter the amount of time, there's better benefit than there is negative consequences of that. Um, obviously, you want to retain your fundraising staff and you want to stay put for a while, but you do have goals and things that you're looking towards. So. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, and I think that's the thing that I, you know, made the article stand out to me was you I think you applied many of the principles that make someone successful at major gift fundraising to uh, you know, a much much broader group of people. Because it's like, yeah, like at the end of the day, what people what separates successful fundraisers, well one of the things from unsuccessful fundraisers is having the donor feel like they're an important part of the equation. And so many times, I mean, the number of people who give a thousand or five or $10,000 a year to an organization and the only communication they get is, Hey, let's send you a letter saying, Hey, you gave $10,000 last year. What do you say, buddy? Like that's how most people treat $10,000 donors, much less the $50 a month donor. So, I mean, you can imagine just one phone call to that donor given 50 bucks a month is, I mean, it's, it's, it's completely unheard of. Yeah. It was funny when I started, right. I'm looking at this donor group and I'm like, okay, I can't get to all of them. <laughs> so what am I going to do? And I didn't want to focus on dollar amount. And that was very strategic for my opinion. And for my place is because some of those most committed lower end donors are going to be your plan giving donors one day. They're loyal and they most likely can move up into that major gift space if they land upon money or if they have access to resources you just don't know about yet. And so I looked off of loyalty actually first. So I looked at the people that had been giving the longest and started stewarding in the most personalized ways there first versus looking at those higher end donors. Obviously that strategy has to change and looks a little bit different in different occasions, but that was something that I really applied and I try to apply in the space I am in now. Um, it's like everyone deserves that personal touch point. Um, like if I'm giving you even $20, I'm saying I trust you and I'm investing in you and I expect like something reciprocated for that. Yeah, I love that. Man, that's awesome. So so you did that, you kicked butt over in your your former role. Now you're now you're doing major gifts, which brings us here today. And one of the things um I wanted to bring you on for was whatever you want to talk about. So there's there's a yeah. lot of there's questions you may have. There's stories you have. Let's actually just start with this. What's one of your favorite stories, either from uh, your former role where you were doing annual giving, or you know your your current role? What's one of those things that just sticks out in your mind? Is like this. If this could happen every day, it would be just awesome. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. I think I'm going to share two. So they're kind cool. of like one in my former role and one now. Um. I'll start with the one now because it's really applies to like you and your like mindset. I remember when your podcast first kicked off and we first connected, I think I was one of probably your first followers. Um, now you've like really grown. It's funny. People will be like, do you listen to one visit away? And I'm like, yes, I know who that is. Yes. <laughs> I know him back when he was a loser. <laughs> no, no. He had a bunch of ideas to bring to the field. Right. Um, it's really about discipline. That's what's so funny about this field is um, that's what it comes down to is like discipline and consistency time over time. So I'm actually in the mid-level space. So like aspiring to get into that major gift space, but trying to grow that mid-level space where I'm at now. And it was a Friday afternoon and I was like, I have so many donors to call. <laughs> I got my portfolio. I was like ready to hit the ground. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to call. This is the time I have. 
And the first or second person I called, he was like, yeah, let's go ahead and visit. And this was the first visit I got in my current role. And I was like, this is awesome. Um, and then your post came out like, hey, it's Friday afternoon. You could still make one more call. And it's so funny. And this is one of the things I want to talk to you about is like, when do we decide it, when's a good time to call? Is that does that even exist? <laughs> but I think it's I think it's nonsense. <laughs> I have a, a, a longer response, but that's yeah. my short, catchy response. Okay, well, I'm going to make sure to write that down so we can get back to that because that's something that I'm thinking about, like with the holiday season, particularly. Um, so, and then then my other favorite like donor story, I think, is the. Uh, we have this. So when I was managing monthly donors at the time, people were like so afraid to put my contact information places because people were going to cancel. And I'm like, no, that's not how we do things. So this donor ended up calling me, right? And you think it's to cancel. And um, this was last Thanksgiving, actually. And he was like, hey, Abby, I wanted to let you know that I know more people are in need and inflation is rising. So I'm going to, can you increase my monthly gift? Like my monthly gift needs to go up with the cost of food. And I was like, yes, of course. Because I think what it shows is if you make yourself available and you build a relationship, your donors are going to come in to help you. They're not trying to like hurt your organization. They believe in it. So that's probably one of my favorite stories. Um, from my Yeah. Family. I love that. And yeah, it, it's so the, the strategy or the mindset of, well, let's not give, <laughs> let's make it difficult for people to get in touch with us. So it's difficult for them to cancel. Like that's totally just playing not to lose. You yeah. know, whereas like, I'm always like, how do we focus on how do we win? Not, not mm. lose. And, and that's exactly it. I think when you're, when your donors feel connected and they feel like there's a real person and it's not just this mega institution that uh, I go on and submit my credit card information to. Like they know it, it really matters and somebody cares. And so I think that's awesome. Yeah. So that's always fun. Yeah. That's so cool. And so, so I'll go back to my, you know, what specific times to call uh, as nonsense. My, my theory there is going back to what, you just said a minute ago, like success in fundraising is all about discipline and consistency over time. And so if you had two fundraisers and like they had identical portfolios and one of them, like you gave them somehow, you knew this is the greatest time imaginable to call each of these donors. Like you have the secret information to know when they will pick up the phone. If you give that to one of them, but they don't have discipline and the other one has all the discipline in the world and, and only calls between the hours of nine and 10 AM, the disciplined one is going to win because, because so much of what we need to do to succeed in this is kind of stack the deck in our favor. So like, for example, let's just say, I don't know, but let's say 3 p.m. is the best time to call people, scientifically proven. Um, okay, well, if you know, like there's just something about the way your body works and the way your mind works that like 3 p.m., you were just the most ineffective possible and you're sluggish and you like you just, you don't want to make calls. And so you don't do it. Versus, you know, hey, I'm a morning person. I'm fired up, ready to go at 9 a.m. I'm going to go make it happen every day at 9 a.m. Because that's when I'm at my best. Like, I'm choosing that. Every, same, that's why I tell people, people get so fixated on, well, what's the best way to schedule visits? Is it over the phone? Is it email? Is it text? It's whatever you're going to do. Like, Interesting. That's one of my questions. Like, what's the best avenue? Yeah, I, and I, I think... In an ideal world, you're going to get comfortable with all of these and you should learn how to, you should learn how to call. You should learn how to text. You should learn how to leave voicemails. You should learn how to email LinkedIn, all of it. But a hundred text messages that you actually sent is worth infinitely more than zero phone calls that you didn't make. Yeah. That's really interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, to think about in 
it's funny when, so when I built out this mid-level program, something that I did is I'm like looking at different avenues. Like, so they have, it's multi-channel way that I try to reach out to them. I always get hung up when I have to call. And this is yeah. because I'm like, okay, I can't wait. I have to wait until nine. It's got to be quiet where I am. Like I have all of these predefined like rules about calling. And so that's when I get to that touch point, that's always like the hardest one for me to pass. Whereas like the email, the hand, I do a handwritten note. That's like yeah. my approach totally yeah. works for me and that's okay. Not everybody. Um, I can like get through that. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the phone call. And so, but then what's funny is that's when I get the visits is when I right. call. And so I'm like, okay, then I have to keep doing this. Like, I'm not going to take it out of the right. cadence because um, that's how I'm securing these visits. But it's funny, like, whatever avenue you're going to do, do that. Yeah, exactly. And and that's the thing is like some people, that's why we need to get comfortable with all of these methods is because some people prefer those methods or it's going to be the thing that gets their attention. Um, and so, so if I'm going to make calls, like for me, uh, yeah. Like for me, the ideal situation to make calls was I'd usually wait until nine, but I would I would schedule it on my calendar. I yeah. would say like, all right, nine to ten a.m. The only thing I'm doing is I'm making calls to schedule visits, and I I make the entire purpose of the day about that. So like when I say stack the deck in your favor, I mean like the things for me that were important were I wake up <clears throat> particularly early that day so that I can do all the things I know are important for me. Like I need to exercise. I need to pray. I need to eat a good, healthy breakfast, not hit, uh, what's my, oh yeah. So I just made that post about mozzarella sticks the other day, but, uh, what a burger, honey butter chicken biscuits. If I'm, if I'm down in two honey butter chicken biscuits on the way to work, like I'm not, I'm not making calls to schedule visits. So I want all these things to be in place so that, and I've got the list ready to go. I know everybody I'm going to call. I already have their phone numbers saved in my phone. So it's like now, and then everything's off. The door's shut. Nobody can interrupt me. The only thing I'm doing is making calls to schedule visits. And if I need to watch, like for me, a big thing was if I need to watch, um, some video of our organization's success that like shows why what we do is so important. Like I'm, I'm putting everything in my favor to, uh, to make it happen. Cause I, yeah, like I, it might sound crazy, but like, I don't, I don't like scheduling calls, making calls to schedule visits like that. My natural disposition is I, like, I don't want to do that, but I, I kind of tricked myself into liking it by making it, like it was just this this thing that I wanted to be the best at, and just like, it, like I, I got interested over time, but I never was like, oh, let's go. Like this is the fun thing to do. Have you read Atomic Habits? Okay, whenever you were talking, it really was making me think about like habit stacking. So the idea of like, okay, I get up and I exercise, and then I do this, and then I do this. And then I do my other work and then I schedule visits at nine. So it's funny. If you look at my calendar right now, my work calendar, I'm blocked every day from 10 to 11. And people are probably like, what is she doing? <laughs> it's not a lunchtime. What is she doing? No, it's like for me to work on the people, the portfolio that I'm working on. It's funny. When we're talking about discipline, maybe this like kind of veers off. You can decide to keep this in or not. But I was thinking about, so for about nine years now, I've had a consistent prayer life. Like every day it's vacations always hard, but besides that, it's pretty consistent and how that has really bled over into my professional life um, of like every day I did this thing. I do this thing that serves me well. And that that's so great. I never thought about that, like how that really translates into like calling for visits, working with donors. That's one of the things is like you'll find all of these things build upon themselves. And it's like, yeah, the more the more discipline you have in one area, the more you have in another. And then it just mm. keeps keeps kind of building. So Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really interesting. Well, I have some of the questions. I think that um, you know, I just saw your post, I think it was yesterday, about like 
how do we hire directors of development and then we give them 18 tasks to do? <laughs> we're like, oh yeah, you need to raise major gifts. And you know, I don't think that's just small shops. I think that's all shop size, right? You have other tasks that come onto your plate. So one thing we just talked about is scheduling time and protecting that time. I think that's what's really important. Um, But do you have other advice or ways that you keep your calendar open or task off your plate so that you can just really focus on that? Because there are other tasks and duties that fall. Um, Yeah, so this is definitely a, a difficult one. Um, it's difficult and it's simple. Like for me, it was just, I just said no to things. And that's something like, (laughs) I, the reason it's difficult is sometimes there are, it's not, sometimes you can say no enough that people are just going to be like, you're fired. Um, but at the same time, if you don't say no enough, you're going to be ineffective and you're going to get fired anyway. So I just made it a habit. Like there's, I think saying no to things is something a lot of people struggle with. And like, I just, I just had this experience. I was speaking with one of my coaching clients about, uh, basically they, they wanted me to attend, uh, something that was outside of our, outside of the scope of our agreement. And I said, no. And I had like a pretty good reason for not going, but I also was just like, I also just said, like, I'm not going to go, like, I can't make it. And at first, like part of their thinking about my response was like, well, that probably indicates you're not really like, you know, taking it to the next level or something like that. And I was like, no, like, I just know what's, what my priorities are. And this doesn't fit in with that. And, and so I say no to a lot of things. And sometimes like saying no to that, the client even verbalized to me that it changed their perception of me, like in a negative way, you know? And, and, and so what I'm saying is like, you have to be okay with that. Like I'm like, I knew I made the right decision and I just didn't go. And like, there's nothing, there's nothing they can think about me. There's nothing they can say about me. That's going to change what I'm going to do in that scenario. And the same thing is true in major gifts. Like when I was, when I was working in major gifts, people would ask me to do things and I would just say, no, I can't do it. And sometimes Sometimes it's a leader that you have to kind of provide a reason for, but other times it's just someone you don't have to give a reason to. It's just like, sorry, I can't do that. And people will probably be like, there's this idea and I get it that, um, like you need to be a team player and you got to do all this stuff, but it's like, not if it comes at the expense of doing what you're paid to do, like you're not going to be evaluated on, like, did you fold as many napkins as Bob and Sue did at the event? Like, no, they're going to fire you because you didn't raise enough money. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> like, sometimes I think you just have to determine this is why I was hired. This does not fit within the scope of what I'm paid by our donors to spend my time doing. And so I'm not going to do it. And sometimes... I think there are more diplomatic ways of saying that, but I think that message ultimately has to come across because I've just, I've seen it happen so many times that the fundraiser just keeps going, like saying yes to everything. And then they complain about how they have to do all these things. And then the organization fires them because they didn't raise enough money. And it was like, mm. you're going to get fired anyway. So just, just tell them you're not going to do it now and at least give yourself a, a fighting chance. Yeah. That's really interesting. It was I'm a mentor of mine that works. I was working with her. I asked her, like, how do you, how do you keep focus? And she was yeah. like, I remind myself, I need to do tasks that are revenue generating. 
Right. That's what I'm supposed to do. And I was like, I feel like I need that stapled like all over my office, like revenue generating, revenue generating. Um, Yeah, because sometimes there are there are solutions to all these problems. Like I'll give you a a real life for instance. Um, Back at my my day job, I like after events we would get together as a team and like sort all of the pledge cards. And it took like all day. And it was like, I've just spent like, I spent the last three months all in on this event, raised a couple million dollars. And now we've got all these people who have given gifts that, like two things are priorities for me in my role. One, like taking a day off because like, yeah, I've been all in on this and like having me like get a rest is important. Mm -hmm. Another thing that could be really important is calling those donors and thanking them. People who just gave a gift. Something that's not important for me to do is like, sift through pledge cards and put them in different piles based upon whatever and input like like that's not what i'm hired to do and so one year i just said i can't make it that day and i didn't go and it was like i don't know what people thought about that but like i was just i'm not doing that and look it like if that means the organization is incapable of fulfilling its duties, well, then we pr- that probably means we need to hire somebody like part time to come do this. And so, like sometimes, sometimes we need to say no to things so the organization can know. Oh yeah, that's not her job. Mm-hmm. We need to go pay somebody else to do this. Yeah, you know, I think it's funny because I think fundraisers are yes people. Mm-hmm. Like naturally, those are kind of the personalities that are interested in this or intrigued in this. Like, yes, people, they like to meet people. They like to kind of people please. So it's kind of like a weird, like, dichotomy between the two. Um, For sure. And yeah, so like I'm a big time people pleaser too. And and I get all the stuff of like, like whenever I do these things or I make a mistake of some sort – I've got the same thing everybody else does, maybe even worse. I don't know where I just think about it all the time. And like, oh, they're, there's, you know, they saw my response in this email and now they're just like mad at me and they think I'm doing all, like, I think about that stuff all the time. And so I'm not, I don't just have this like, oh, like I, I just say these things and it means nothing to me. Like I, it sits on me a lot, but I just know what the value is and how I'm supposed to spend my time. Yeah. And, and I just like, I, I just can't go along with those things knowing that this isn't what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. That's interesting. So I'd start practicing saying no, Oof. just with like little things. <laughs> I feel like I've been practicing that for a long time, not successful, but that's okay. I could get there. <laughs> yeah. Like another, another example I have is, uh, like we had someone someone emailed me and said, Hey, like, uh, we're having our, there was this group of people that would give a, like a thousand bucks to our organization every year. Mm -hmm. And they said, we're having our group meeting like this, uh, evening at 7 PM. We'd, we'd really love you to speak and we're going to present you with a check. And so I responded back and I said, wow, like, thank you so much. Unfortunately, I can't attend that night. Thank you, Kevin. And the, and someone else from our organization wanted to go give a talk. And so they did. But I didn't do it. And, and what I said was, I can't attend that night. I didn't have a conflict on my calendar. I just can't attend that night. Yeah. Because it's not a good use of my time. And... And and I've posted about this on LinkedIn and some people gave me some pushback because like, well, what if they were like this, they were going to give you a billion. It doesn't matter. Like I, you can't just run yourself around ragged just because somebody wants your time. Um, like you've got to, you've got to put some boundaries up and, 
you know, like it, it can be different for everybody, but it's maybe like, you know, five nights a week I'm at home for dinner with the family or whatever it is. And right. it's like, it's okay to, to say no. And, and you don't have to explain to the person why, like I didn't invent a reason. Like I'm what I just said, I can't attend that night. Yeah, that's true. There's something, and maybe this is switching gears a little bit, but, um, right. in like the mid-level space and even in the major gift space, you get told, oh no, I'm comfortable where I'm giving, or I'm not really interested in talking right now. And something I want to talk to you about, and this is a question I think about a lot, is anyone ever truly disqualified? Right? Is there really a point when they can't be cultivated or stewarded to like upgrade their gift or do something that's meaningful for them? Um, and I mean, I understand we've got a lot of prospects, we've got a lot to do, we have to prioritize our time, but is, is anyone ever really truly disqualified? And if so, what does that look like? Hmm. <clears throat> Interesting. Uh, I think the short answer is definitely yes. Um, okay. And okay. Well, one one reason would be they just don't like your mission or your organization, which might seem kind of obvious. But like I've had, I think that's only happened to me one time, maybe two, where I visit. Yeah, like where I visited with the person, and it would like it like I can understand why like maybe someone cares about you know, feeding the hungry and like, that's a priority to them. And they were like, well, but we really just prefer this one over that one. That's one thing. This person was just completely opposed with their values. It was like, I don't believe in feeding the hungry, that kind of thing. So, so that was like, okay, I'm not gonna, there's nothing I can do here. The other scenarios I would say are more nuanced where you just have to, trust your your judgment and it depends upon yeah how many like how many qualified prospects you have what is this person's situation um it's difficult because you don't want to you don't want to just ignore someone because they can't give you any more money but there is a reality to like like let's say somebody somebody has you know they gave a thousand dollars one year and you wind up going to visit with them and they let you know that, uh, they had just received an inheritance. They gave you the thousand they're on social security and that's their only source of income. Like if it's that type of situation and you've got where there's, there's truly no realistic hope for additional giving or increased giving, Meanwhile, you've got, you know, 150 people in your database who are giving, you know, $1,000 a year and no one's ever visited with them. Well, yeah, I'm probably going to go spend my time with those other people. Does that, uh, do you have a, a real life example you're, you're wondering about? Yeah, I think, so this is something that it's like, interesting. I've just been thinking about it. It's like if a donor replies, so, you know, I'm communicating when going back and forth and they just tell me like, Hey, you know, we're comfortable where we're giving right now. Right. But I have thousands of prospects that I can keep going. How do I prioritize or do I prioritize like continuing to cultivate that or go ahead and move on to that next prospect? You know, like, how do you navigate that? And this might... Yeah, what's the, what's their... One of these people that's comfortable where they're they're giving, like, what... Like, about how much are they giving? Over a thousand. Okay. Yeah, but they're not yet, like, at that major gift level, but, you know, they could be. Um, and the odds of that happening are likely. They replied to my email. They said, thanks so much for sending us the handwritten note and the voicemail. We'll yeah. see you at, like, said event. Like, you know... Yeah. There's like some opportunity there. Yeah. So the way I would look at that is that they're de- those people are definitely not disqualified in right. the sense that like, yeah, it looks like there's there's tremendous opportunity there long term. Uh, doesn't surprise me at all after a pretty short, uh, you know, 
not, you know, history of the relationship that they're, they're not giving dramatically more. Um, what it makes me think of from a like higher level at the organization is we probably just need to hire more gift officers rather than, rather than make it your problem of, okay, there's uh 7,000 people you could choose from. I would say, well, well, we need to <laughs> like, you don't have to pick and choose better. You probably just need more gift officers yeah. to serve your donor base. Well, yeah. So that doesn't, uh, that doesn't help you very much, but, um, it's that's, like, that's what I think of. Yeah. It's, so really it's like, okay, they just need like a longer relationship and I build that with them over time and the likelihood of that developing is high. Yeah. And so you might, you know, I don't have a ton of experience with, you know, prioritizing thousands of relationships, but the other way I would think about it is maybe you, uh, you seem like a very organized person maybe you can like uh separate people into different different categories like they're your so far so like yeah if they reply like that i'm like okay steward like a little bit longer and then try again and then like nah i'm probably not that's what i've done is kind of just separate them after the fact i just kind of wanted your thoughts yeah so i would just put them on some kind of instead of uh, instead of I'm going to go visit with these people in person a couple times a year, uh, in addition to phone calls, uh, you know, handwritten notes, whatever, you might just say, hey, I'm going to call these people twice a year. Um, yeah. That kind of thing. Um, so you stay on their radar. They're still engaged, but you're not devoting as much time um, right now as you might to someone who's in a you know closer position. The other thing I would say, oh, here's my here's my. Uh, infomercial for market smart um y'all don't happen to use market smart do you um not that i know of but okay I so you like way off base you know yeah you who knows but so so greg warner's uh company market smart what they do is you know basically they use ai and surveys and all kinds of stuff to help the organization know when it's the right time to get a visit with the donors. So for example, all the stuff you're doing manually, like That's let me reach out <laughs> and ask them how they're feeling. Like basically like an AI version of you would be sending emails with surveys attached to these thousands of donors. And so it looks like it's coming from you. Right. And, and it's like, Hey, here's a survey from our organization. We want you to respond to. And so somebody who's engaged is inclined to share information with the institution yep. and they'll put things like, hey, I'm, I'm not interested in uh, engaging further with the organization, but somebody else might check, you know, I would really like to get a visit with a gift officer. I'd also like to learn more about putting the organization in my will. They've now shared this stuff with the organization because they want to. And 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 they have said, I want a gift officer to get in touch with me. So that makes your job so easy. And you know where they are in the decision process because they told you. That is really interesting. You know, and maybe that's something I have not thought about. So there's um, mm. in the field. Have you heard about the donor experience officers? Have you heard about uh, I can tell in you. other words, just like a different... Uh, term for ish it's like no. digital engagement so it's like digital okay. personalization and I i'm not one i don't um i know some people who are and essentially they manage a portfolio of a thousand mm. um, which is huge and really it's like digital communication personal engagement to like cultivate these donors to move them up the pipeline but what i like about this survey right i obviously i don't think we have market smart i think i would know if we did yeah you um, probably know <laughs> But, you know, I might not have access to this software, but something I can do is like, hey, let me send a survey first, see who bites. And that right. gives me like my leads. So that's an interesting way to think about it. Um, that's what I think is really important. Now I'm hopping back to that annual giving side, which you don't talk yeah. a lot about, but the importance of emailing only your donors who are engaged, who yeah. are the people that are opening and clicking and targeting them. Yeah. That's essentially what you're doing just on the major gift side. Who is already interested? Talk to them. 
Um, I think sometimes what I've experienced so far is we think that annual giving and major gifts are so far apart, but they're really like the same exact type of thing, just a little bit different presented. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I to me, all fundraising is the same thing, essentially. Major gifts is just like the highest. Uh, it's like the most human one-to-one right. f- version of it. Everything else is just like our best attempt to, like if we could, we'd have one human talking to another human directly for every single level of giving. That's what I would like. Cause I think it's just like the, the funnest, most joy filled experience. Like, like if you could have somebody who's giving $5 a month and that really matters to them somehow have a one-on-one personal relationship with a human at the organization, that'll be wonderful. But we just can't because it doesn't, it's impossible financially. Right. So that's where some of this technology and especially things like market smart can, can make it closer. uh, It can make it closer to that one-to-one connection Mm -hmm. because you're not, because you can reach out to the donors who have qualified themselves as saying, now's the time to have this interaction. Yeah. That's like super interesting. Cause I think about my like experience managing 5,000 monthly donors, really it's like brought the human element to it. That's all I did. Yeah. And so, um, and it's funny, I don't know, this is just coming to mind and this really translates into major gifts. Um, when I was managing monthly donors, there's like a international friendship day in the summer. And I wrote like an actual note to my best friend. Then I took that note and I put it in an email and I sent it. That's exactly what major gifts is too, right? Like how would you communicate with someone you really care about? Or this is what I think. You correct me. <laughs> You're like the expert here for sure. You know, how do I communicate with someone I really care about and just bring that into the human element of what I do at work? Yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah I think that's that's ex- yeah. I, I think some of the the worst failures you can have in fundraising are when you're trying to like pretend uh, certain things. Like you're trying to be somebody that you're not. You're trying to uh, put off a persona of something about yourself that's not actually reality. So like when you. Like the, like my biggest failures as a fundraiser were when I like went into a visit early on in my career and I had, obviously, I had no idea what I was doing. How could I possibly know what I was doing? But I tried to pretend like I knew what I was doing, you know? And I like I would try to put off this, uh, some sort of pretend... I know how this is supposed to go attitude when I should have just gone in. Like so, some of the things I encourage my clients today and I wish I would have done back then is just go into the visit and say like, Bob and Sue, this is the first visit I've ever been on and I'm kind of terrified and I have no idea what I'm doing. My objective today <laughs> is to get to know you and to serve you well in your relationship with the organization. But I've never done it before. So like, work with me. Like, I, I wish I could have just had that level of authenticity from the start instead of like, okay, let me act like I know what I'm supposed to do now and say all the right things. That's super interesting. So have you had anyone, maybe yourself, while you were, because now you're completely working for one visit away, right? Yeah. Okay. So maybe whenever you were at um, your organization before or hmm. your clients, whenever they have that like open transparency, how do the donors respond? Just curious. Oh, people love it. People love it. Awesome. And like I would do stuff like, like the other thing I would do is I would like I would apologize to people for things or I would bring up things that I was uncomfortable about or like, like I was worried that you like, Hey, you know, last time I asked you for a gift, you responded in this way. Like I, I think what my brain has been telling me is that you're upset at me for X, Y, and Z. 
Like, is that, is that really the case? Or am I just like, you know, misinterpreting that? And like, like I would just share these really like Mm -hmm. authentic things of like, this is what I'm feeling. This is, or, and I don't know, like people, like the, the best conversations I've had with donors are ones like that, where either I apologized for something I screwed up or I like asked about something because I thought they were upset at me or that I failed them in some way. And it was like, those are the best interactions because those are, those are the types of what exactly what you said. Those are the types of interactions you have with friends. Like when, when you screw something up with a friend or a relative or a spouse or whatever, and you're like, I'm sorry. And you just like, you're vulnerable and you have this opportunity to just become closer because you're not just like, I am the professional fundraiser and uh, this is how we do things. (laughs) So yeah, we're coming up on time here. Are there any, uh, Anything uh, else on your mind or things you want to share or uh, No, I think I want to otherwise. say thanks because I think you've come a long way. Uh, like mm. since we first, I mean, that really wasn't that long ago, you know, like two mm. and a half years. And I've really seen the impact that you're making. Um, and it's mm. really cool as a young, like emerging fundraiser to see like the way that we're thinking about the sector and we're trying to prioritize um, our donors and the ways that our donors can make an impact. Uh, so it's really cool what you're yeah. doing. I'm, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Abby. It's great getting to know you, and uh, I look forward to talking soon. Sounds great. That was Abby Trahan. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the One Visit Away podcast. If you did, please leave a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. And by the way, do not forget the 10x guarantee. If you enroll in Major Gift Millions, Uh, before the end of the day on December 2nd, I will guarantee you a 10x on your money or I'll give you your money back. No questions asked. So all you have to do, go to onevisitaway.com slash millions, get enrolled in the course before December 2nd. So for individual access, if you can't close $15,000 in gifts before the end of the year that you can directly trace back to what you learned in the course or what it changed about your thinking, then I'll give you a refund. For team access, it's 50000 If you can't uh, trace back at least $50,000 in gifts that you were able to close because of what you learned in the course or how it changed your thinking, how it changed your action, that kind of thing, just let me know and I'll give you a refund. So go get enrolled today. I'll look forward to seeing you in the course and uh, beginning the 10X guarantee. Thanks so much for listening. As always, I hope this episode has inspired you to schedule more visits. After all, you're just one visit away from a transformational experience for your benefactors and your organization.